Hello, everyone. I'm George Johnson. And I'm Rick Crowell. We're your co-hosts for Looking Beyond the Obvious, where we share individual stories of life, exploring those places where our lives intersect with the divine, and look beyond the surface reality to the unseen. Today's episode comes from our co-host Rick Crowell, and it's how Rick got his second job through prayer. Uh, if you haven't yet heard Rick's story of how he got his first job through prayer, that episode is entitled Milestones. You might want to go listen to that episode first. And this is how he got his second job through prayer. It's a good reminder that just because you have your prayers answered, it doesn't always mean it works out the best. Ah. I did get my first job uh, through a serious prayer, and it was it was answered. Happy as could be. And I land this job, and it's in a sweatshop, and oh. it is nasty. And uh, <clears throat> my first job was running a what's called a cutoff saw, just serious grinding dust all day. Eventually became promoted. I was working second shift, then went to day shift drilling one-inch holes into inch-and-a-half-thick boilerplate I had to have two holes drilled in what were I later found out were railroad car door hinges. Hmm. And it was set up in a manner that your flow, your workflow, was supposed to be the most efficient that it could be. They had me down to X amount of parts that I had to have per minute. And at the end of an eight-hour day, I would have 1,000 so many and they were on you with a stopwatch watching you. So they've got these quotas you have to reach every day. And we were paid $3 yeah. an hour. Mm. And wow, they would burn these holes out on on a um, a flame machine using an oxyacetylene. So these hinges were extremely uh, rough. They were dirty. They needed sanded. Mm. So when I would drill these holes... I had to throw a new piece in, and while it was drilling, put my piece into a template and use an air grinder to grind off all the slag, all the molten metal. From the one you just done. And then belt sand it. And long story short, by the time I got done after an eight-hour day, my whole face and hands were black. And yeah. my uniform smelled like the shop. My car smelled like the shop. And it was just... It was basically some of the hardest labor I had ever done. Hmm. And my dad kept trying to convince me, this is not how this trade is supposed to be. And I was extremely disappointed. Because your dad, I'm sorry, your dad was in the Yeah, the my dad was a tool dye maker. Trade. Yeah. So, so he's trying to tell me that this isn't what the world of machine trades looks like. Yeah. I'm having a hard time believing it because everybody in this shop was black. They welded on one side while we machined on the other. So you're breathing smoke all day. Just getting covered you're breathing with grinding dust. Yeah. And I my only respite from all of this was to leave the shop at lunch and sit out in my car hmm. by myself. And here Beck had given me this little pocket Bible. And I sat there and read it, not because I wanted to, but it was the only thing to do. I was out of radio reception. There was nothing to listen to. And while I was thankful that God allowed me that job, I was beginning to resent the job. Mm -hmm. But through sitting there and just 
perusing through scriptures. Uh, I don't recall the exact verses offhand, but I can tell you what the theme of them was. And it was perseverance. Hmm. Stick at it. And uh, that switch finally connected for me. And um, I had applied at several area places for jobs, but again, just like six months earlier, nobody's hiring. So it's only six months after yeah. you and uh, the first one. I made the resolution that I'm here. This is my job, and I'm going to give it the best that I can. Give it a hundred percent effort, and and not walk around with my tail between my legs. Mm-hmm. And not only did that pick up my mood, it picked up the mood of people around me, that, but that wasn't my intent. Yeah. And I became comfortable in the environment that God set me and thought, well, wherever it goes, it goes. And seriously, I made that switch in my heart. Two days later, my brother-in-law said, hey, I don't want you to get excited, but I have some good news for you. And before he could say any more... I said, you have a job interview for me at Schaefer Val, <laughs> which is the company that he worked at that I had applied at. And he was so disappointed. And he looked at my sister and said, you told him, didn't you? And she said, no, I did not tell him. He said, how did you know? And I told him I just knew. But in my heart, it's like the moment that I made the acknowledgement that I'm here wherever you set me, something greater came along. Yeah. And so I went to this interview. This place was spotless, hmm. clean as could be. I mean, when you're working with metal, I mean, you have that mess, but sure. the rest of the shop was clean. He takes me through, and the disappointing part is I was going to be on second, you know, which I, I like days, but I could handle second. And it was for uh, a little less money. Mm. You know, I was paid three thirty-five an hour at the first job. He offered me three twenty-five. Yeah, so so close. I'm lo- I'm losing right. a dime, and that seems like a lot at that age yeah, too. Though, and yeah. I'm a lot closer to work or to home. There's a lot less driving, so I thought that would offset the difference. Okay, fair enough. And I accepted the job. And uh, the cleanliness, too, just yeah. that alone. And uh, on the way out, Don, the man that interviewed me, said, you don't appear to be very happy about it. And I said, well, it's a 10 set cut, the 10 set cut per hour. And then uh, Don said, wow. He said, uh, you're making 625 an hour? What? I said, what? <laughs> what? He said, "Yeah, I said six twenty-five. I said, I thought you said three twenty-five. He goes, "Oh no, no, it's six twenty-five. Wow, almost double what you were oh, making. Oh, oh my gosh! Wow. I mean, I about, I just about fell over. Yeah. And this was in the morning. I had the interview, so I had to go back to Galleon, which is twenty miles away, to get my toolbox and stuff. And when I showed up, everyone was asking where I was, and they mm. said the owner, the owner is hot." I said, well, he know, suspects yeah. you mean, yeah, what, you, okay. he just knows that I didn't show. Okay. And so there's seriously probably 10 guys gathered around my toolbox wanting to know the story. And I said, well, I'm going to work at Schaefer Valve in Ontario 
And uh, Wendell asked, you know, how much are you going to be paid? And I said, well, you know, six twenty-five an hour. And they all screamed. Their best machinist, this guy was incredible. He'd been there 22 years, was making $5.10 an wow. hour. And they asked me if I was lying to them. I was able to look them right in the eye and said, no, I'm not. And the next thing you know, here comes the owner. And he wades through the crowd, tells everybody to get back to work. And he said, where were you? Looking over his glasses at me. And I told him, I said, Arvin, I have another job. So he thought about it and he said, okay. He said, I know where this is going. He said, I'll bump your pay to $3.40 an hour. <laughs> I said, no, Arvin. I said, I'm being paid this much. And he's like, oh, my gosh, goodbye. He can't, you know, he, he can't he, he even said, come close to matching there, it. There's no way. Yeah. And so I, I left that job. And consequently, so did, within one year, 13 other people. Wow. And I think the same thing was true. Number one, jobs weren't easy to get. But if you're established in that career over time, yeah, those guys all found out they were accepted most anywhere because that experience right yeah, and, pays, and you, know. you know both getting this first job and getting the second job i don't want to say god's a spiritual vending machine because that's not that's not where i was looking at the time it's not like you've got to get me out of here and i think the mm -hmm. moment that i accepted where he put me and and this is going to sound odd but i made him my partner mm. in whatever happens here this mm -hmm. isn't you know you put me here you can move me if you want uh, and why is it what almost 40 years later i still struggle with that mentality you know god i want you to be my partner yeah because back then he was mm -hmm. and and he moved me out the moment that i was content not to be you know, it just seems like through my life, since we're speaking of milestones, that that's, that's when that happens. Mm. You know, the minute we become, okay, you've got me here for a reason, whether, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's, you know, I, I think it was you one time that said, in all seasons, yeah, you right. know, we, we go through seasons of change. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't look at it like that. It's, for me, it's kind of one panic event to the other. Mm -hmm. But uh, all in all, in the end, it'll be all right. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about that before. It, and it is. And it is. Yeah. But, you know, can you maintain that that long distance vision? And, and the first job plus this, at the same time that I got in this job, Within one year, we got married, got a house. Uh, all of this was rolling into place. Mm. A lot of changes. Just to get laid life. off three yeah. months later. Oh, really? After I was married. Oh, yeah. wow. Thanks to President Reagan, he put the embargo on the Russian pipeline. Oh. They laid off people 25 years in seniority back. Wow. We lost all of third, all of second, and a ghost of people on first. Prior to him putting on the embargo, we landed that contract mm. and they came out and told us, we have enough work for 10 years down the road. Wow. And they celebrated, gave us bonus checks. We, it, was, it was an incredible December of 1982, mm. only to be laid off in October of 1983. Mm. And, and 
just it was all because of that. We put yeah. all of our eggs in one basket. Yeah. So we went from the yeah. highest of highs to the lowest, to the lowest of, lows. of lows. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, politically, that was effective what he did. Yeah. But um, obviously, you don't always think about how it affects other people right. in the real world, like workers that for, are working for those jobs. For several months, we got mm-hmm. off selling our bows mm-hmm. to England and Japan, who then resold them to Russia. Oh, really? Yeah, but the government finally figured that out yeah. and shut it down. Uh, and then we lost everything. The people that got the company where they were at yeah. were put on the back burner because of the pipeline. Yeah. And they didn't come back. Huh. So the company ultimately did recover. But it's just amazing. Uh, the minute you think you're set. Yeah. The minute you think you've got it made and I'm on top of the world. And uh, yeah. my brother has always said uh, the one thing that's constant is change. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized how much life That's was true. going to change. Yeah. I was set yeah. in my mind to be at Schaefer Valve until I retired. Really? I, I had I had yeah. no intentions of moving. Yeah. You know, and and every move that I've ever made uh, for the most part has been unintentional. Yeah, so do you have a third story about your third job then that you got after yeah, this? We'll have to hear that too yeah, at yeah, some point. Yeah. But it, I, it, it, all of my life events seem to center around Something major, something major, major like that. So interestingly, I want to go back and and talk about a couple of things that you mentioned. And one is this idea of surrender, right? It's like when you got to that point, finally of surrender, because this is a big part of what God seems to want from us is surrender. And, and that he, it's not that he doesn't want to act and move and do things in our lives, but he's, all the time wanting us to surrender. If, if indeed he's trying to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, who is totally and completely surrendered to him, that's what he's trying to make in us too. And so it's when you got to this point of surrender that he actually then, you, you saw him act in this specific way. Yeah. And that's true. If, you, if, if I just mentally look back across my life, it's at those points where I am in the toughest of spots that forced me to surrender. Yeah. And I've often wondered, Boy, if I could do that voluntarily, yeah. you know, and, and, and that is somebody that's more, more mild, but they're like, uh, you know, I'm the clay, you're the potter. Yeah. Mold me and make me. And I have a hard time with that. Some of us just aren't like that yeah. for whatever reason, you know, yeah. um, yeah. And then the other thing I thought was interesting. So you said you were reading your Bible and, um, this Bible that Becky had given you and, you said it's not like you were super spiritual or anything. It's just that it was the only thing you could find to do during right, that time, right? right? That's true. So, but um, I mean, even in that, you can see God shaping you and guiding you and leading you, maybe giving you a very circumstance where that's all you could do, right? In those, in that. Well, situation. I'll tell you what. Sitting there reading that, it went from being. <laughs> this may sound odd, but just from being a text, yeah, to becoming personal, yeah. Uh, that had never happened to me before. As I'm reading printed words on a page, it went from printed words on a page to a God speaking in my ears. As you're reading this, I'm reading that he's saying this to me. I started reading the scripture in first, uh, is it the first person? Yeah. You know, like it's being spoken to me and, and living those events, putting myself in that situation. Yeah. And it, it, it applied perfectly. Mm. I don't. I don't think I was reading anything into it. It's like it was written for me in that moment because mm-hmm. the struggles that I was reading about 
coincidentally, or not. Or not. <laughs> We're happening uh, right then. Yeah, I, I am going right through that. Yeah. And was told how to behave in that process. I'm like, oh, wow, that was pretty wild. Yeah. You know, so th that's the first experience I'd had of Scripture becoming real. Well, and the scripture does say that it, it itself is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I think it's in Hebrews that it says that. And I think we do sometimes treat the biblical text like it's just black words on white pages. And so it's just, there's nothing to it. You know, it's just right. like any other book on the shelf. It's a story. But it's when the Spirit of God comes and makes it alive to us. And it really does become like this... Uh, this being almost, you know, it becomes right. alive. It, it really does. It becomes animated. And that's the spirit of God revealing and give us, giving us insight. Now I do wonder too, because um, it does seem like early in our, and this is pretty early in your Christian right. experience. It does seem like early in our Christian experience, those kinds of things, I don't want to say they have a bigger impact, but it is true, like, because they're so new and fresh, they're the first times it's right. happening. Yep. It does seem like it, we respond differently, because I assume, how many years ago was that? This is like 40, 40 years ago, yeah. right? Yep. So how, if you read those same things today, might you be impacted differently? Because you talked about, can you have some of the same struggles and right. challenges? How might you be impacted differently? Or how does reading the Word of God affect you now that it didn't then? And, you know, talk I, a little I, bit well, about I that. Well, I believe my soul has a lot of calluses on it. Mm, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're just tougher to it and willing to pass off what then to you was the unerring word of God yeah. is now something, oh, I think I could be something else. Yeah. You know, you're not as quick to understand it for what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, again, faith like a child, yeah. you know, and now I'm nowhere near a child. So I look at things with skepticism mm -hmm. and, and, and thing is you shouldn't, you're not supposed to, if I could take things at the value that God's handing them to me, mm -hmm. you know, I think especially in today's society, we're gun shy of anything that somebody gives us. Yeah. You know, what is this really about? There's no free lunch, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so that is interesting because I do think this happens to a lot of us as Christians. And, and again, it might be just different personalities and so on, but we, we do become kind of calloused and critical and um, we, we become more adultish in our faith rather than childlike. And we, I know God is constantly calling us back to that point of surrender to that point of being children, to that point of allowing God to reveal himself just like he did in those early days. And it's it's a hard thing to get back to because the enemy is also, of course, there trying to, you know, it's like the enemy in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say this? You know, and, and he kind of yeah. asks us the same thing. Well, was that really true? You know, was that, you know, those are old stories. Those are things that happened years ago. You know, maybe that wasn't even true. Maybe that was circumstantial. But he's, God is calling back to us to say, where are you? Are, are you going to come back to me just like I called Adam back to the garden in that innocence? Yeah, I agree. And it's about attributing the things of Satan to what is his. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's in your ear telling you, oh, this isn't real. God doesn't love you. Mm -hmm. and, and and when we start believing that and thinking that it's us that believes that, uh, you know, Satan is real. Yeah. And but, he, he is in your ear just as he was Adam's ear. And he does masquerade as an angel of light. And he does 
hide himself well. Think Again, we think it's our own voice. We think it's coming from somewhere else. We even think it's coming from God sometimes, yeah. and it's not. It's coming from the enemy, and we need to take that captive, make it obedient to Christ. Much easier said than done, but that's the continuing story it of faith. It does need to be done, though, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing yes. that. I think there's going to be more stories <laughs> because yeah. it sounds like there's more to come in regard to your um, ongoing journey of faith. The continuing life. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. Thank you for joining us. Yes. This has been Looking Beyond the Obvious. You can help to extend the reach and impact of these stories by praying that the Spirit of God will inspire more stories like these and by sharing this episode with others. If you'd like to support us financially, click on the support button on our website, lookingbeyondtheobvious.org. And finally, if you have a story you would like us to consider sharing on this podcast, please contact us through our website. Thanks for listening in.